Photoshelter presents Vision Slightly Blurred. I'm Alan Murabayashi. And I'm Sarah Jacobs. I'm feeling a little hoarse today, Sarah Jacobs. I don't know what's going oh, on with no. the voice there. Need to hydrate. Uh, yes, drink tea. Uh, I should note that uh, on March 11th, we passed the one-year anniversary of the World Health Organization's declaration of the global pandemic. So officially, we've been in this for slightly over a year now. How are you feeling? <laughs> wow, it's like it went by in a blink, but also slow like molasses. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. I know what you mean. <laughs> well, let's talk about photography instead of talking about the pandemic. How's that sound to you? Yeah, good. <laughs> Over on the Flack Photo community, I came across a piece of work that was pretty ordinary. And I mean that in a good way. It's actually called Ordinary Sacramento by the photographer Enoch Koo. And uh, Koo says, prior to launching Ordinary Sacramento, he was working as an actor and wedding photographer. Two jobs that required him to rush from one place to the next. The pace of that lifestyle, in addition to the performative nature of the work, sparked his desire to slow down and document the world through a different lens. He's been walking around his neighborhood and making these wonderfully quirky photos. And I just love them. (laughs) Yeah, they have really sort of like early Tumblr vibes. There's no people. It's all of like construction or vehicles or bushes or signage and everything is a little bit off there's something off about each photo there's a uh, there's a a photo that he has um that was featured in this is colossal and the the headline one of the headline photos is this um manhole cover that has uh, two stripes painted on it but when it's lined up on the street it doesn't line up with the street and then the two lines become one line for some reason. It just makes you like wonder what the heck is going on. They're kind of thought provoking mm-hmm. quirky images. And I think for some reason it really appeals to me. And I think the lack of people, maybe it's sort of emblematic of, of the COVID, you know, everyone being inside or something. Mm-hmm. But I just think they're fantastic photos. Yeah. I like that. He, he grew up in Sacramento. He's still there. He's documenting it in kind of this strange, fascinating, beautiful way. It's a really nice piece of work, and he's putting it together in a book. Uh, the book is called My Neighborhood, Rosemont, California. And looks like it's sold out in pre-order already. Yeah, that's right. You can't even, you can't even get it. It's that, it's that good. But you can follow him at uh, Instagram, at Ordinary Sacramento. So follow that now. The New York Times From Here series, which explores how communities are gathering in a time of unprecedented change, um, recently published a fantastic photo essay by the photographer Pat Kane, who documented indigenous tribes in north in the very northwestern Canada. This was a community of people that was very vulnerable to the coronavirus, as there are many elders um, within the community, and they locked it down. They this community gets a lot of tourists to go see the Northern Lights. And they immediately, in March of 2020, shut it down. He's been documenting his community there um, pretty much throughout the whole pandemic. And this roundup on the Times really shows how the community dealt with it, along with some fantastic imagery, along with drone imagery as well. The city that Pat is working out of is called Yellowknife, population 19,569 as of 2016. And to your point, a lot of indigenous population there, are a lot of indigenous elders. There's a history of uh, foreigners coming in and bringing disease that wipe out 
parts of the tribe. And so the city made this decision to, to not let anyone in during the pandemic. And Pat was there photographing. Uh, he is actually going to talk to me uh, in a few weeks about this particular project. But th there's something sort of fascinating to me about the, the total isolation of this area, um, how far north it is. The, he, he said it gets as cold as minus 40 degrees. Um, and how does that community survive when they're not really letting anyone in? And, mm. and all of that sort of starkness, I think, was captured really well in both the photos and videos that, that he produced for this package. And, of course, kudos to the New York Times for continuing to sort of push these multimedia packages. It, it yeah. feels so interactive in the way that you're scrolling down and images are appearing on the screen and text is appearing, you know, scrolling uh, in, in a parallax view as well. Uh, mm -hmm. Just really impressed with, with the innovation that's coming out of the storytelling from the New York Times. Absolutely. This piece was photo edited by Amanda Webster. It's kind of a nice bookend to Pat's earlier piece, which was published in The Atlantic and was actually just video um, of him photographing different families at the beginning of the pandemic um, and talking to them about how families were prepping for it um, and what they were going to what they were going to do. And it was a lot of a uh, window pictures, which as we know, during the beginning of the pandemic, it was all about taking pictures of people through their living room windows or front door windows. Yeah. He says in the video, which we'll link to on our blog at blog.photoshelter.com that at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, a lot of the jobs dried up that he had booked. And so he started taking portraits of people. And then he realized what he was actually doing was documenting the pandemic. Hmm. And mm -hmm. so I think he, he's going to end up with this incredible time capsule of this little town in the Northwest Territories. Um, and I'm really excited to, to talk to him more about what that process was like and how he kind of visualized taking these photos and videos uh, in, in this very isolated community. As we mentioned, we're passing the one year uh, declaration of the global pandemic and over in Brooklyn, New York City is celebrating with a COVID memorial by projecting images that were submitted by the families of the befallen that get shown on parts of the, the Brooklyn Bridge. And I came across a tweet uh, by Mara Gay yesterday. You know, it's in an area that was very close to Photoville. I mean, it is the Photoville yeah. area that we know. Um, yeah. And you see these black and white images projected onto the base of the bridge there. It looks incredibly moving. I, I wish I was there to see it in person. I know. I if if they're still showing them, I definitely want to see it. The city worked. New York City worked with a publication called The City, um, which does fantastic reporting about all five boroughs. Um, it's a really great news, independent news website that I highly recommend checking out um, if you're interested in what's going on in New York. I believe New York City. In New York State still have the highest death per capita. I mean, that was that moment in spring where we didn't know what was going on. Uh, the refrigeration trucks were there. The, the mass graves were there. There's been some talk, uh, as I understand it, in the city about having sort of an annual memorial similar to maybe the 9-11. And considering how many people died in New York City, you know, 30,000 plus, and you compare that against the slightly under 3,000 that died on 9-11, it makes sense to have some sort of memorial. And I love the way that it's a visual memorial uh, with these projections. Can't think of a better way to sort of memorialize this event. Yeah, you mentioned 9-11 and that the, the beams of light, those were set up by a, crea a creative agency called Creative Time. 
um, which I actually just recently learned about. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how artists, yeah, memorialize those that we lost, um, and particularly in New York City. The number is sort of unfathomable. So how do you capture yeah. that on a regular basis? I just think that the, the Towers of Light from a, a visual uh, reminder is so powerful. I like the projections of these faces. I like the fact that the families get to submit these images. I like the fact that they're sort of maybe randomly se selected. But clearly you mm -hmm. can't project 30,000 images in you know a 24-hour period or whatever the, the time frame is there. So hopefully they'll find a way to really address this in, in future years. You found another fantastic drone video. We talked about a drone video just the other week that involved a golf ball. This one involves bowling balls, and it was created by Rally Studios, um, which is a studio based in Minneapolis. And it it weaves, it's one shot, and it weaves in and out of a bowling alley. And I think I gasped audibly when the <laughs> drone went in behind right. the the pins because you always want to know what's going on behind the pins. Well, the drone is going to show you. It goes behind the pins. It swings back out to the bowlers. You hear snippets of conversation from the bowlers. Um, it is a phenomenal shot, and it got a lot of attention on social media. It, I mean, articles written in the New York Times. Uh, you know, all the major news outlets were talking about it. It was all over Twitter. And it starts with this drone flying, you know, 30 meters in the air outside of the bowling alley, goes into the bowling alley, weaves between tables, goes down the aisle. As you said, behind the pins, you see all the <laughs> machinery behind it that are resetting the pins, flies back out, goes between people having conversations. There's all of these, uh, you know, uh, Big Lebowski references that they use in some of the overdub of the audio. Um <laughs> And it really got a lot of praise from Hollywood. So James Gunn, who's a director of the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise, tweeted, I want them to come with us to London later this year when we shoot Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. The drone operator Ooh. is this guy, Jay Christensen. So, I mean, maybe he's got a job. And then Todd Vaziri, who's a visual effects artist who's worked on the Star Wars and Transformers movies, said, this kind of wonderful photographic innovation adds to the language and vocabulary of cinema. Now, when I first saw this video, I was reading comments on Facebook because that's what I do. And a number of people were like, this is fake. This is CGI. This is multiple takes. I, to me, it was totally believable because I've seen those FPV style uh, videos before. And we talked about uh, Titleist last week. Um, right. But I can see how you would think this is too good to be true. Yeah, totally. Apparently the video was shot, like we said, in a single take. Um, and it, it only took them 10 tries. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's not a lot. Like that's pretty, pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible. But I mean, how long is that video? Three minutes long? Yeah, I mean, that's about, a lot of yeah. time to set and reset. And I wonder how long it took just to block everything out. So the actors knew what to do when, you know, the drone was reappearing out behind the, the pins and everything. I mean, it's going at such a fast speed. I would have been kind of nervous to be on the <laughs> set, like worried it was going to hit my hair and then get caught or something. Oof, no. You mentioned <laughs> last week when we were talking about the Titleist video. So we talked about Johnny FPV, who was the drone mm -hmm. operator on the, on the Titleist video. And he was tracking the golf ball in flight. And you said, well, it looks like CG. Why didn't they just CG it? 
And so I guess I would pose the same question to you this time. Why not just CG this? Well, for some reason, this, and maybe it was because I was educated from the Titleist video we had watched, but for some reason, this, like you said, it looked more real Mm. to me. It didn't feel as fake. Yeah. And maybe that that also might have had to do with the fact that people were involved yeah. in these shots. There are sitting, there are people sitting at the bar, drinking and eating. There are people having conversations, bowl, you know, shining up their bowling balls, etc. And so those people looked very real. And so I could tell, like, okay, this is not CGI. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think familiarity for me with a bowling alley is very different than like I don't know what a ball looks like flying through the air. But I know what it's mm. like to walk through a bowling alley. And so there was that familiarity. They actually produced this video to sort of remarket the bowling alley because it had declined business in, in COVID. Um, and then a few days later, I saw a similar one of a movie theater. So I guess it's sort of the thing to do now with performing art spaces where you fly a drone or entertainment <laughs> spaces where you fly the drone through to say like, what a great place this is to be. But I mean, just an incredible video, incredible video. Congratulations to... Rally Studios and Jay Christensen. Striking photos of a young woman being arrested in London have flooded my feed. And the images are of a woman named Patsy Stevenson. Um, She was one of the attendees who went to a public vigil for Sarah Everard, um, a woman that was recently murdered by the London police um, while walking home. Um, This has struck, I think it's made international news. I don't know if you've heard about it, Alan. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, And obviously the women of London wanted to come out and mourn uh, publicly for Sarah. And Patsy was one of the women that was arrested. The the police um, citing uh, COVID restrictions began to arrest the women at this vigil and Patsy has bright red hair. So the images between her hair and the neon yellow green of the police, it just creates a really visually striking image and it's very powerful. I think another thing is the calm that she appears to have in her face, of course, in interviews, uh, since she has, you know, clearly noted that she was obviously not comfortable or calm, but the photos show another story. It's really amazing. That that red hair reminds me of the the titular character in the movie Pixar animated movie Brave, where the oh, red yes. mane is so, you know, it's just so so visually striking. And so, to your point, yeah. I think the contrast between the yellow jackets and her red hair. In this dark environment, really makes her stand out. I I was really weirdly uncomfortable looking at the images because of the density of people. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that even when we saw the Black Lives Matter protests uh, last summer here in the states, I felt like people weren't as close together as they are hmm. in a lot of these photos. There's this one image on the Reuters package where people have their cell phone lights shining back into the camera. There's a, there's a row of police and then there's a crowd and they all have their phone lights on and it's creating this uh, kind of star flare effect that, that's echoed by the uh, street lights that are behind them. I mean, really incredible photos. The, the story, of course, is incredibly tragic. This 
woman murdered by a a policeman and then the irony of the police manhandling these these women protesting mm-hmm. <laughs> for being mm. murdered by the police i mean it's Mm-mm. it's just incredible the photo uh the one main photo that we're talking about that was taken of patsy was taken by Rotary's uh, London-based photographer, Hannah McKay. The one Great thing shot, Hannah. That, that I hate, which has nothing mm. to do with the photographers, but it's that Reuters uses low-quality photos for the photo package. They always do. Yeah, and this is something, I mean, I hate to, I hate to use the, the death of this woman as an example of you know, the quality of the photo, but you're trying to communicate a story here and Reuters is thinking, let's reduce the JPEG quality. Let's make them as small as possible. And I think you really lose something because the, the clarity of the image isn't there. And I just wish that there was a way to sort of balance, you know, bandwidth concerns and, and whatnot against having the story really be visually prominent in a way that does it justice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And finally, this week, we end with the cover of the April 2021 issue of Vogue US, shot by Nadine Ijuera, who is the first black female photographer for the cover photo of Vogue US. I can't believe it. How is that still possible? It's 2021. I know. Uh, But uh, a, a great photo package. I love the interior images that she shot. I don't love the cover, I gotta be honest. We have to say the cover is of Selena Gomez. Oh, yeah. Pop star, megastar. (laughs) Who I love. Has one of the most. Yeah, (laughs) me me too. She's she's from Texas. Um, Yeah, the the images are really striking. The colors are just gorgeous. It's Selena kind of in a tropical type situation. She's like in a backyard with a pool, palm trees, the works. You're not crazy about the cover? I, you know, I think, I think the pose and the lighting and the composition is lovely. I just think her face doesn't look like Selena. And I think some of the interior mm. fo- photos to me look more like Selena to me, but eh, maybe it's just me. <laughs> yeah. I, I love the ones where she's using a little bit more light. There's a great shot of Selena holding um, plates and a bouquet of flowers. And there's, there's sort of a flash um, on, on Selena, it looks like it's later in the day. So everything else is slightly more dark. And there is that shot really speaks to me. I, I love the look. Nadine has worked for Vogue UK. She won, uh, an infinity award from ICP, uh, in 2020. She's super well-established, uh, Jamaican Nigerian photographer has a lovely, lovely style. And I think, you know, it, again, it's, it's no reflection of her as a photographer. I think there are real constraints to the way that, these well-known fashion and beauty magazines sort of insist their covers to look. Um, And and I think that if photographers were in charge of what ended up on the the cover of the magazines, we'd have very different looking magazines is what I suspect. Yeah, totally. I bet you're right. Nadine was also featured in Aperture's The New Black Vanguard, which had Tyler Mitchell's work as well. So... Seems like Vogue is looking to Aperture to figure out who to hire. Those young ones making their mark in the industry. Yeah, yeah. All the stories we talked about today, you can find on our blog at blog.photoshelter.com. And since you're listening to this podcast, why don't you hit that subscribe button? You can always leave us a comment by tweeting at Photoshelter. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Photoshelter is the online leader for photography websites and workflow tools. Archive, distribute, and sell your photos in a mobile-friendly, responsive website. 
Try one free for 14 days at photoshelter.com slash podcast. Then download one of our free educational guides at photoshelter.com slash resources.